you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. We began last week um, by kind of overviewing the book of Galatians, looking specifically at verses 1 through 5 of the book. But let's read verses 1 through 5, and we'll read verses 6 through 10 as well as we prepare our hearts to look at God's word together. So let's read these words from God's word. Galatians chapter 1, I'll read verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel Contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now speaking, seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still strive, trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Pray together. Lord, these are strong words. They are your words for us this morning. Thank you for giving them to us. And we ask, God, that you would bless our time in your word, to teach us, to guard our hearts, and that you would help us to receive the truth that is here and change our lives because of it. Be with my mouth as I speak, Lord, that I would speak only what is true and right. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Thanksgiving approaches, my family and I are gearing up to head to Northeast Ohio. This is where my family's from. I grew up in Canton, Ohio. Um, Canton, Ohio is known basically for one thing. It's the home of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If you didn't know that, now you do. That's all you'll know about Canton really. Um, but sports are, are huge in Northeast Ohio. They're huge in the United States. But there's this pocket of just kind of rabid fans, kind of like what Pittsburgh is with the Steelers. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, but it's hard to have a whole bunch of sports fans and have such terrible teams. Um, we've been blessed with the unfortunate thing of rooting for teams like the Cleveland Indians and the Cleveland Browns and the Cleveland Cavs. So they're pretty sorry teams to root for. Not only are they sorry teams, but we've been blessed with lots of traitors. Um, I remember when the Cleveland Browns, one of the great football teams in, in NFL history, were moved to Baltimore by the owner, Art Modell. And to this day, I'm not sure that I would feel safe saying the name Art Modell um, within a 100-mile radius of Cleveland because you might catch on fire or someone might be extremely angry with you. Um but there was this, this man who owned the football team. They, and everyone gave this team love. They, they were terrible. And we loved the team. And 
rooted for the team and bought tickets and went to the games and then showed all this love and he turned his back on the Cleveland Browns and took them to another city. And if that wasn't bad enough, we had that whole situation with LeBron James recently, which is most of you know better than Art Modell. Um, but here was this hometown kid from Akron, just south of Cleveland. And uh, he got the chance to play professional basketball in his backyard for the Cleveland Cavaliers. The fans, I mean, they worship this guy. It's kind of scary the way that people worship professional athletes. Um, and then on national television, he broke up with an entire city and just drive the dagger into Cleveland's heart's heart. And he was he was a traitor. He was a, a turncoat. I'm not as bitter as – I'm a, probably like the 1%, you know, as far as bitterness goes in Cleveland. And people really despise these guys because they are traitors, because they have betrayed the city. They've, they've changed allegiances. Uh, here in Kentucky, we think about UK and UofL. I mean, what if Matt came up here – and said, I have switched. I am no longer a fan of UofL. I now root for UK. I mean, God forbid. It's blasphemy. Um, <laughs> or, or imagine, you know, all of you fans of Manny Pacquiao. And if you said, I now root for Floyd Mayweather, right? I think he's the best in the world. It's, it's betrayal. You're, you're a traitor. You can't say things like that. You can't switch allegiances. That's something that we really hold to as, as individuals. You need to stay true. Uh, not just in sports, but in, in everything. You need to stay true to who you have started out with. And in the book of Galatians, if you're wondering where I'm going with this, Paul begins his letter with this normal introduction. He introduces himself as the author. Um, he says, I'm, I'm writing to the, the church in Galatia, so those are the recipients. He follows it with this typical greeting of grace to you and peace. And then what we, we would normally expect in most of Paul, Paul's letters is a, a word of thanksgiving for what God has done in the in these the people, the believers there, or some fond memory of them that he has. But in verse 6, there is no statement of thanksgiving. And Paul launches right into the reason why he has written this letter. He gets right down to business, and he says in verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. He says, I am amazed, I am astonished, I am Surprise! I'm I am in complete wonder that you have forsaken him. I mean, Art Modell and LeBron James are traitors in the eyes of many people in Cleveland, and Matt would be a traitor if he started rooting for UK, and any Filipino would be a traitor if they stopped rooting for Manny Pacquiao. We're shocked by these actions. We say, "How could you?" And it's almost this feeling that that Paul has. The report has been brought to him that. That people have forsaken the gospel, and he says, "I just I can't believe my ears. You have you've deserted God." I mean, that's what he says there, isn't it? He says, "I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting not the gospel. You're deserting Him, God, the one who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel." That word "desert" there it has this idea of of changing allegiances, changing one's mind. The issue in Galatia was that the believers had deserted the God who had called them for a different gospel. God had brought truth to them through Paul and Barnabas. They came and they, they went through these cities and they preached the truth. He showered his grace on them. He called them as sons and, and daughters. 
then they forsook not just the gospel, but he says, you have forsaken him. You have forsaken God. You have become traitors. You have become deserters of the one who called you. And Paul writes the book of Galatians to call them back to say, you've switched allegiances. Now come back to God. He calls them to return to this message of grace in Jesus. He he reminds them of what happened, and then he instructs them about what they they need to do in the future. This is a warning. And the the warning here in verses 6 through 10, I think the main point here is what Paul is saying to, to the Galatians and to us is don't desert God by believing a different gospel. That's the main point. Don't desert God by believing a different gospel. Now, if that's the message, you might say, desert God. I would never do that. I would never desert God. I would, I would never deny God. And as you say those words, then they might begin to sound eerily familiar, and you hear Peter in the back of your mind saying, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And yet he did three times. And surely those in Galatia, as Paul was leaving, this isn't the first time he's given this warning. He says, don't forsake the gospel. As they were sending them out, they said, Paul, we would never forsake the gospel. We would never forsake God who has saved us. But they did. And so don't take that warning. Don't desert God and say, I would never desert God. That's not something that I would ever do. Realize that it is a possibility in all of our lives to desert God. If he does not keep us, if we do not hold fast to the gospel. And so these, this message is for us. And Paul gives us three, what I'm going to call dangers. You could say threats, but three dangers that lead us into this denial of the gospel and therefore a denial and a desertion of, of God. So we're going to look at, at three dangers in this text that would draw our hearts away from God and draw our hearts away from the gospel. The first danger is the danger of disturbing influences. The danger of disturbing influences. We see this in verses 6 and 7. Read those verses again with me. Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So we get a picture of what's going on in Galatia. There were some people who were disturbing the brothers and sisters in Christ there. They had come and they were shaking the foundation that Paul had laid and put these believers on. The believers, you think they had they had been there, they were focused, they were walking in the way of the gospel. They were walking by faith. They were walking in the, the grace of Christ. And suddenly these false teachers show up and they just they mentally shake the believers there. That's what that word is. It's causing mental turmoil, disturbing, unsettling someone. You might think of this as in a silly way, as in, as in the movies, right? Where maybe there's a, a, a waitress and she's pouring a, a cup of coffee and someone walks through the door. Maybe it's, um, you know, the villain or maybe it's the person that she's falling in love with in that moment. It's love at first sight moment and she's, She's pouring the coffee, and you've all seen this. It's classic in movies where she just continues to pour, and the whole pot goes in the one mug, and it spills all over the place. Because something came in and, and disturbed her. She was mentally shaken. She was not focused. She had been on the right path. She'd been doing what she was supposed to do, but she was shaken. Or, or in other movies, the police interrogation room, right? 
They get the guy in there and they just keep asking questions and poking holes in his story. And there's that, that glass there. It's reflective, but you know, there's people back there watching you and it just gets unsettling and they're mentally shaken and they don't know what to do. These Galatians, they were, they were young in their faith. They were new believers and they were so, they were disturbed by these people who came in. They, they were shaken up. I think that's just as a side note, it's a reminder to us of the great need when someone comes to faith in Christ, if they are a new convert, we need to ground them quickly in the truth of the gospel because it's easy for people to be shaken up. And surely Paul had done that as best he could in the midst of this swirling persecution and the need to get out of town and different for different reasons. He had done his best, but it was in this short period of time that they were disturbed. He, he says that, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting. He says, I, I was just there. It, it wasn't that long ago that I was talking to you and you were holding firm to the truth. What has happened? It happened so fast. So we need to watch out for those that would come in, those who would disturb our faith, who would, faith, who would, who would shake us up. They're, they're deceptive people and they, they go after the weakest link. It's like a lion. If you've seen this on, on you know, um, nature shows, the, who's the lion go after? After the weakest link, the young, goes after the ones who can't defend themselves. These false teachers come in and they're ready to distort things. They go after the weak members. Though we are all susceptible to being shaken by disturbing influences. How were they shaking up the Galatians? Well, that's the second danger. And you might say that these points are pretty well linked. This could be point 1A might be the danger of disturbing influences. Point 1B would be the danger of a distorted and different gospel. The danger of a distorted and different gospel. John Stott commented on this, and he said, these two go together. To tamper with the gospel is always to trouble the church. To tamper with the gospel is always to trouble the church. You cannot touch the gospel and leave the church untouched because the church is created and lives by the gospel. Paul says that the Galatians were deserting the gospel for a different gospel, a gospel that was nothing like the true gospel. He says that these words here, he says, verse 6, I'm amazed that you were so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a, a different gospel. That, that word, it's a completely different gospel. It's something that's it's not even it's not similar. It's just the complete opposite. That's what he says in verse 7. That it's really not another gospel because there is no other gospel there's nothing even close to the true gospel you are forsaking the gospel the true gospel for a distorted one think about it this way water is water right that's what it is it's water but if i take water and i and i heat it up and i say pour it over some some tea bags and then while it's still hot i add a little bit of sugar to it is it water anymore no it's Sweet tea. Sounds really good. Sweet tea. It's, it's not water anymore. And so we've added something to it. No one would look at that and say, oh, that's a pitcher of water. No, they'd say that's a pitcher of sweet tea because something has been added to it. And so with the gospel, nothing can be added to it and have it remain the gospel. What was going on in Galatia is these false teachers were, were coming in and they were saying a lot of right things. They were proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. They were probably affirming that Jesus was God in the flesh. They were saying that it was necessary to believe in Jesus, that he had died on the cross, that he had paid the penalty for sin. And it all sounded good. 
up to that point. I mean, that sounds good to me. But then they, they added something. They said, but you also need to, to become a Jew. You need to obey some of the, the Jewish laws. You, you need to be circumcised or else you're not going to be accepted by God. You need to fulfill the law. I mean, Jesus came. He said, I came to fulfill the law. And so shouldn't we fulfill the law? You need to do these things. But in adding those things on, they transformed the gospel. It was no longer the gospel. They didn't transform it to, to sweet tea either. And this was poison. And Paul goes after it. He says, this is not anything that you should listen to. Because to add to the gospel, any requirement beyond faith in Christ alone is to make it something completely different. It's no longer the gospel at that point. And maybe you're thinking, is it really that big a deal? I mean, they're not converting to a different religion. It's not like they're becoming Muslims. It's not like they're animists. Now, I mean, Jesus is still a part of the message. Should we take it this seriously? We can take our cues from Paul in verses 8 and 9. Look at how he says this. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be cursed. As we have said before, so I say now again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is to be accursed. Verse 8, Paul offers a, a hypothetical situation. This didn't really happen. He says, he says, if, if we, if, if, if we came back, if I came back and started preaching a different gospel to you, or if an angel from heaven comes and preaches a different gospel than the one that we preached, he's to be accursed. Then in verse 9, he says, this is what has actually happened. As we have said before, so I, now, I say again now, if any man is preaching, if someone is there, if someone's amongst you and they're preaching a false gospel, then that person is to be accursed. That word accursed is the word anathema. You've heard that word anathema. It's used in some old church documents. It's the idea, um, you might think about the ban uh, in Joshua, where the Israelites were entering cities like Jericho and, and Ai. And what did God say? He said, when you go in, you need to destroy everything. Everything is under the ban. Everything is anathema. You destroy it all. It's all under the curse. Everything was to be destroyed. This is a strong statement by Paul. He says, if someone preaches another gospel, they are to be anathema. They are to be cursed. Why was that so strong? Because it's a life and death issue. Not just a life and death issue, an eternal life and death issue. We read this morning in Sunday school, very similar words that Paul spoke as uh, this Bar-Jesus or Elemis was seeking to pull uh, someone who was coming to the faith. He was seeking to, to pull him away from the faith. And Paul looks at this false prophet and these are the words he says. He says, you who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And then he blinds him. Paul took the gospel very seriously. Because it was beyond a life and death issue. This is an eternal life and death issue. And he says, Galatians, if, if you are forsaking the gospel, you're forsaking God. This is serious. You can't add something to the gospel and have it still be the gospel. It is a false gospel. It's a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Gospel means good news. The only good news that we have is the truth about Jesus Christ. To add something to it makes it not 
good news. Paul's telling us, he reminds us to not be naive on this. These individuals, they want to disturb disturb the faith. It says there um, in verse 7, which is really not another gospel, only there are some who are disturbing you and want, they desire to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people who desire to distort it. It's on purpose. They are speaking these falsehoods on purpose. Some may be misinformed, but others are distorting on purpose. And Paul curses them. Again, John Stott writes, he says, the church's, great, the church's greatest troublemakers now as then are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. And we are called as a church, just as Paul is calling the Galatians, we are called as a church to guard against those who would distort our faith. Listen to this comment from one commentator, Timothy George. He says, the church of Jesus Christ must be willing to recognize and to reject gross perversions of the gospel when they crop up in its midst. A church that cannot distinguish heresy from truth, or even worse, that no longer thinks this is worth doing, is a church that has lost its right to bear witness to the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, who declared himself to be not only the way and the life, but also the truth, the only truth that leads to the Father. One of the roles of us as a church is to guard the gospel, to not let it be distorted, to not let different gospels creep in. This is certainly the job of us as elders, to guard the gospel, but it's the job of every Christian, doesn't Paul? He calls the entire church. He says, you all watch out, because what if we came back and preached something different? So you're, if you're just expecting me to guard the gospel, what if I came and I started preaching something different? What are you going to do then? You need to hold to the truth of the gospel that you have heard, and if it's distorted by anyone, including me, or even an angel from heaven that shows up, don't believe it. Because it's not true, because there is only one gospel. If I, as a leader of this church, begin tacking things on to the gospel, if as I'm preaching and I say, yes, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, except you need to also do this. You know, I think what would be good for us as a church is if we really went back to the Old Testament and started thinking about, some of these laws and the food laws, I think it would be good for us to, you know, no no more bacon at potluck, okay? Now, you reject that, not because you love bacon, but because it's a false gospel. If I'm saying, if we have bacon at potluck, we are no longer true believers, that's a false gospel. Of course, that's not something common that would be said, but what if I said, you know, we had Orphan Sunday, and I said, you know, you're not really a truly good Christian unless you adopt and participate in orphan care. If I add that on to the gospel and say this is something that you have to do for God to accept you, that's a false gospel, even if it is good. Because the gospel is that we are saved by faith, not by works of the law. If someone comes to your door and says, you know, it's good that you believe in Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus too. But, you know, you're missing some, some vital teachings. Let me give you this book. Let me give you this magazine. It has something a little bit extra that you need to know. You know what Paul says about that? He says that preacher is to be cursed. It's to 
be anathema. He's preaching a false gospel. And he's dealing with things that are life and death, eternal life and death. This is serious stuff. As we said, Paul's not seeking his own glory. He's not saying, believe this because I told you and I, I don't want anyone else. I don't want you following anyone else. You just got to follow me. We know that's not his heart because of what he says. He says, even if I come, if I come and I start preaching something different, don't follow me anymore because you're not following me. You're following God. Where has our allegiance shifted from if we forsake the gospel? We are no longer following God. It doesn't matter who's teaching these things, even if it's me. If it's not the gospel that you have received, if it's not the gospel that we have received in God's word, then reject it. Because it's a false gospel. What is the message of the gospel? It's the message that at the right time, God sent Jesus into the world. That he was born of a virgin, but he was born as God in human form. That he lived the sinless, perfect life that we cannot. He fulfilled the demands of the law. That he was condemned to death, even though he had done absolutely nothing wrong and that he willingly chose to lay down his life for us as a sacrifice of atonement for the sins that you and I have committed. He dies in our place and then three days later he arose victorious over death. And when we come to him, we don't come doing good things. We come by faith alone, admitting that apart from him we are lost, that we are dead in our sins. And we come in by faith. We believe that because of what Jesus has done, the wrath of God is removed from us. And God is no longer angry with us because of our sins, because the payment has been made by Jesus. And that he gives us new life. He gives us his righteousness. He fills us with his spirit so that we can walk in the ways that he has called us to. That is the message that we have received. And we reject any additions or any subtractions to that message. We reject them boldly, as Paul did, anathema. That's a false gospel, and it is not good news. It is bad news. If the news that I give you is that you have to do something to earn salvation, what terrible news, because we can't. The message of the gospel is the only good news that there is. So let me go to a classic illustration. How do we identify false gospels? Is it by studying the false gospels? by studying the true message. You've all heard this probably, but how do we rec- how do um, people like Emily and Banks recognize false currency, counterfeit money? By being so familiar with the real thing that when it comes across their desk, they know that it has to be false. Now, I think that there is value in studying what others believe. But for whatever hours that you put into that, put a vast amount more into studying what God has told us to be true, into the revealed truth that he's given us. And then when the false gospel comes, we say, you know what? That's missing something. Or it sounds like they've added something that I, I just, I don't think that's as important. I don't think that's a core issue. I don't think that's something that is true to the gospel. I don't think that's necessary for salvation. We need to know the truth inside and out so that when these things come, we know that they are not true. Saturate yourself with God's word, with good teaching, so that when the guy on TV or the couple that comes and knocks on your door, or the man on the corner who's preaching, or, God forbid, someone in this pulpit says something that is not in line with the truth of the gospel, 
that you recognize it and you reject it. Watch out for disturbing influences. People who come and they preach a different or a distorted gospel. Those are dangers. Those are things that will cause us to deny God by forsaking him for another gospel. There's one other danger. This one doesn't come from within the church or from outside the church, but it comes from within our own hearts. And it's in verse 10. It's the danger of desiring to please people more than God. The danger of desiring to please people more than God. Look at that in in verse 10. For I'm now seeking it for Paul asks a question, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. It would seem that the false teachers in some ways were accusing Paul of of seeking to, to please people, to gather a crowd by preaching the way that he did. They said that he was seeking the favor and the goodwill of the people and that this was what was motivating his preaching of the gospel. I think after verses 8 and 9, we know that that's not what he was trying to do. You don't pronounce anathema on false teachers to win friends, to make people like you. He calls down a curse on those who would preach a different gospel. And then he says, do you think that I'm trying to please men? No, I don't think he was. If he's seeking favor with men, then he's not going to get it by saying anathema to them and to the gospel that they preach. It says he wasn't trying to please men. Verse 10, for I am, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He says, if I were still trying to please men. Paul had been down that road before. He tried that before. And he said, I, it's not the way to do it. I, I want to follow God. My, my sole goal in life is to please God, I am a bondservant of Christ and Christ alone. This wasn't an attitude of saying, I don't care what other people think of me or my attitude. and I'm, I just desire to please God and so I'll say whatever I want. No, his desire, his, he said, if, if the opinions of people go down because I'm preaching this gospel, that's okay with me because I want God to be happy with what I say and what I do. His opinion is the only one that matters. It would be dangerous to make pleasing other people your main goal. If that was Paul's main goal, then he would have done what the Galatians did. He would have forsaken the gospel. Because the gospel is by nature offensive. It was offensive in that time. If if people wanted to say that, that circumcision was necessary for, in addition to faith, to believe in Christ, to be saved. Paul very well could have said, okay, that's fine. I mean, they're saying that they believe in Christ and they're just saying, well, you got to be circumcised or you got to follow these Jewish laws. Okay, that's fine. At least Jesus is in there somewhere. He says, no, that's, I can't do that. That, That's, that's pleasing people rather than pleasing God. God has said that this is the message and this is the message I will preach, whether it offends or not. Paul's only desire was to please God. So he held on to the gospel without wavering. I think we ask ourselves, what do we desire? Do we desire the approval of other people more than we desire the approval of God? If we do, that's a slippery slope towards deserting God 
and forsaking the gospel. Because the gospel is not something that's going to win you lots of friends. It is by nature offensive to say this is the truth. It is the only truth. To say, if you preach another gospel, anathema, you are to be cursed. It's not something that's very popular to do or to say. If we're seeking the approval of men, we will fold on the truth of the gospel. If we're seeking the approval of men, then when people come to our door, we'll want to be nice and listen and pretend like maybe, yeah, we believe that. Or when we're at work and opposing viewpoints come up, we'll just say, yeah, we kind of believe the same thing, I think. Now, I'm not calling you to call down curses on your coworkers. I think that would be a bad idea. <laughs> this is obviously a specific thing, but we do need to be zealous for the truth of the gospel. And if someone is adding something to it, then we say, you know, I think you need to be careful. I'm not sure that that is the true gospel. I, let me just explain to you what I understand the Bible to say about what is the basic understanding of, of what salvation is. And I feel like maybe you're adding something onto this. It's scary. And this desire to please men can, people, can keep people held into false gospels. You know, they, they've been a part of a church for a long time or this, they like the pastor of this place or the leader that they've come to. And so they, they hold on to that because well, they want to please men, but if it's a false gospel, you have to reject it. It's, it's dangerous territory. It's it's hard. It's, we're to be loving. We're to be kind. We're, we're, we're not to call down curses on people needlessly. But if the truth of the gospel is distorted, it is a life and death issue. And we need to stand firm on it. So don't make a desire to please people something that causes you to fall into a slippery slope that leads to denying the gospel and therefore denying God. Stand firm in the truth. Stand in love. Speak the truth in love. Don't yell the truth in anger. That's never a good idea. We speak the truth in love, but we hold firm to it. We say, this is serious. This isn't something that we're going to mess around with. So don't desert God by believing another God. Don't desert God by believing another gospel. Watch out. There are people that want to come in and shake up our faith. There are people that want to come to your door. There are people that want to come onto your TV set. There are people that want you to read their book. There are people that, that want to get into your head and into your heart and shake you up and say, you need to add this, or you don't really need to believe that. You know, We're all on the same page. This is all the same. And Paul says, watch out for these disturbing influences because they're coming in and they're disturbing and they're preaching a false gospel. They're saying that you need something besides Jesus. That you need something besides faith in Christ alone. Watch out. And be beware of seeking to please men. If all we want to do is make other people happy, then it's a slippery slope towards denying the truth of the gospel. Finding ourselves in a place where we just want others to be happy with us. We have a choice. Paul says, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? It's one or the other. Again, that doesn't mean that we reject people and we try to offend other people. But our, we have one goal. Our goal is to glorify God. 
Our goal is to please God, is to do what He's called us to do. And if others are offended by that, if others are not pleased with the message that we preach, then lovingly we say, I'm sorry, I desire to please God more than I desire to please you. I love you. I want you to come to believe this as well. But I have a desire to please God first. No one wants to be a traitor or a deserter. Can you imagine what this would have sounded like to the Galatians? I'm amazed that you have so quickly deserted him. None of us would sit here and say that we desire to desert God or Christ. But history is littered with men and women who once confessed Christ, but later fell away from the pure truth of the gospel. Some were disturbed or shaken by false teachers who came in and preached a different gospel or proclaimed a message that wasn't true. They listened to or they read something that sowed seeds of doubt that went unchecked until they blossomed into a, a false gospel, a different gospel, a distorted gospel. And others were seeking to to please men more than God, and they found themselves adding to the gospel or subtracting from it so that people would like them. Suddenly they didn't have the gospel anymore. None of us would say, I'm going to desert God. I'm going to desert the gospel. I'm going to forsake this truth. None of us would ever say that. But it is a reality that it happens. So beware of these dangers. Know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, what God's word says is the true message of the gospel. And guard against those that would come in and shake up your faith. Those that would contradict the gospel. Those that would, those things in your prideful heart that would rise up and say, I just want others to be, to like me. And so I will believe what they say. We are not immune as individuals or as a church from the possibility of denying the gospel and thereby deserting God. We are not immune as individuals or as a church from denying the gospel and thereby deserting God. We've got to watch out because there is an enemy that is coming against the gospel and it rises up in our hearts and it comes at us against as the principalities and the powers that are fighting against the kingdom of God in this world. There are so many things that are fighting against the gospel. But We serve a God who says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as we hold on to him, we know the truth. and We can stand firm in it. May God in his grace keep and guard us in the truth of the gospel until he returns. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we never want to receive a letter like this as individuals or as a church, that would say, how could you have deserted the gospel? Lord, if we ever get to that place, soften our hearts and make us receive the message and realize the error of our ways. But I pray, God, that you would guard us. Guard us against those that would come in and distort this truth. I pray for the elders of this church, Lord, that you would help us to to be wise about who stands in this pulpit, about what is said, about who comes into this church and preaches the truth. Lord, that we would be open and loving and receive people in here to hear the truth of the gospel, but that we would beware of those that would distort it and cause division and cause 
dissension in this place around that message. Guard us against false gospels, against messages that are not true. They are not good news. They are bad news for us, Lord. Pray that you would guard our hearts against those things. And I pray that you would keep us from being desiring that people would like us more than desiring to please you. But that we would not be filled with a pride that wants to be liked by others more than approved of by you as someone who holds truth, holds firm to the truth. Lord, keep us in all these things. We cannot do it on our own, but by your strength, we can. Thank you for Jesus, and we pray all of this in his name. Amen.